don't know, I am JD. Nice to meet you. Um, hey, uh, I didn't know how much it would hurt until I gave it up. I didn't know how much I would miss it until I hung them up. You see, I loved this game deeply. It was my first love, not a girl, not a team, just the game. This game had taught me many life lessons. It helped me and guided me and prepared me for some of life's big things. <clears throat> this game is the reason why I chose this movie today. This game is baseball. And so our movie today has a beautiful phrase that has been coined, and maybe you've heard of it, maybe you haven't, and it goes like this, if you build it, he will come. Some have said, if you built it, they will come. I can promise you this. If you've never seen the movie, go home and watch it. And I promise, men, you're going to cry. Ladies, you too will cry. Probably laughing at your husbands, but that's a different story. <clears throat> you see, this movie is played by a young man named Ray. He's played by Kevin Costner way before Yellowstone. Ray lives with his wife, Annie, and daughter, Karen, on their corn farm in Dyersville, Iowa. Ray, is, he's got a troubled background. He's got a troubled, broken relationship with his late father, John, who was a devoted baseball fan. And Ray fears growing old without achieving anything. And that's where our story begins. Take a look. I have just created something totally <clears throat> I like the box. If you build it, he will come. If you build it, he will come. If you build what, who will come? Didn't say. I hate it when that happens. Me too. Who's your invoices? Ray is. <laughs> I think I know what if you build it, he will come means. Ooh, why do I not think this is such a good thing? Daddy, there's a man up there on your lawn. Are you a ghost? What do you think? You look real to me. It's more than that. I feel it as strongly as I've ever felt anything in my life. There's a reason. Go the distance. Did you hear the voice, too? Did you hear it? Go the distance. Yes. Our grave is dead. He died in 1972. Are you Moonlight Graham? No one's called me Moonlight Graham in 50 years. Unbelievable. It's more than that. It's perfect. You build a baseball field in the middle of nowhere, and you sit here, and you stare at nothing. This field. This game, it's a part of our past, Ray. It reminds us of all that once was good. Hey, is this heaven? No, it's Iowa. Kevin Costner, Amy Madigan, James Earl Jones, Ray Liotta, Burt Lancaster. Sometimes, when you believe the impossible, the incredible comes true. 
field of dreams. Sometimes when you believe the impossible, the incredible comes true. You know, I, I think that whoever made this movie stole this right out of Scripture. Because if you look at Scripture, this Scripture is full of these stories. Stories of God speaking to people, doing just ordinary things, and then God motivating them or encouraging them to, to do something. You know, there's a man in the Bible that had a similar story to this. His name was Noah. And Noah was just going about his life. All of a sudden, he has this vision, he hears a voice, and God says, hey, Noah, I need you to build an ark, because uh, rain is coming. Side note, Noah lived kind of in the middle of the desert. He has no idea what a boat or an ark is, and probably, s scholars have said that it probably hasn't rained yet, um, but rather that the water was flowing out of the ground to, to, to kind of feed the vegetation. And so here you have a man who's hearing a voice kind of a little illogical, a little irrational, and a little crazy, and tells him to build a boat. And so Noah says, sure, I don't know what a boat is or what rain is, but I'll do it. Or, or maybe it's like the prophets, these men and women who God called and said, hey, I need you to help guide and steer my people because they've gone astray. And so they did. They listened to the voice and they did. Or maybe it's the young girl living in Galilee who all of a sudden an angel appears and speaks on behalf of God and tells her that she's going to be pregnant. And so she understands that as a woman she can get pregnant, but she has no idea because she's not married yet how that's going to work. Sometimes when God speaks, it's a little illogical, a little irrational, and a little dangerous. You see, I, I want to spend our time today speaking a little bit about these things. This movie caused me to kind of dive deep into this and look closely at one of our patriarchal fathers. Uh, many of you know him by Abraham, Father Abraham. And I want us to look at how not only this movie kind of has a similarity to the Bible, but ultimately how the Bible calls you and I to see his life and what does it look like for us to live that out in our truth, in our reality, in our lives today. So if you have a Bible... Turn with me to Genesis chapter 11, verse 27. I'm going to catch you up on your Bible reading plan today, so just stick with me. It says this, Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred in Ur of the Chaldeans, and Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abraham, Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah, and the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Ishka. Now Sarai was barren. She had no children. Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his sons, Abraham's, Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah was 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Now, I want to pause, because something that this beautiful, that's so beautiful about this passage is it lets you know on some things. Now, if you go back, which I would encourage you to do when you go home, go back and read chapter 11. Because chapter 11 of Genesis gives you the beautiful outline of where Abram, or Abraham, comes from. See, Abraham is the great, or the grandson of one of Noah's sons. 
And so imagine being a young boy listening to your grandfather's story, right? Some of you understand this, and thinking, my grandfather is crazy. His stories are insane. Imagine sitting there and him saying, yeah, I used to live on a boat when it rained and never stopped raining. You know the story? When I was young, life was way harder. You can picture, right, Abraham's father saying these things and just sharing the stories about his father who heard a voice and then caused the whole family to kind of get into this boat, into this ordeal. So imagine the crazy stories he heard. And so here you have this story. And so it continues and says this. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and in him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went. As the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him, Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abraham took his wife, Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abraham passed through the land to the place that Shechem, at the oak of Morah, at the time that the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offsprings, I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. For there he moved, from there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the east and I on the east, um, on the west, excuse me, and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abraham journeyed on, still going toward Negev. Something I love about this is it helps us understand a little bit of his story. You see, it helps us to understand how, how God has intervened into human history and begin to do something that is so beautiful. God begins to tell a story about what he's going to do through the life of Abram and Abraham and his descendants. But ultimately, he is telling you and I a story about how he's going to redeem the world through this family. I've got three simple points for us today. My first one is this. Listen for God's voice. Dallas Willard, an author and speaker and uh, professor in his book, Hearing God, makes a claim that to hear the voice of God, there needs to be a sense of closeness with God, a sort of relationship. He goes on and he says that the key is to focus not so much on an individual action or an individual decision, but rather to build a personal relationship with the Father. Hearing God is but one dimension of the richly uh, interactive relationship with God. So what, what he's saying is many times we come to God so that God can give us a direction of where we're going and that's it. That's all we want. But what, what Dallas Willard is saying is that there is so much more to this beautiful voice there is so much more, there's so much richness and depth to God that he wants to share with you. He just doesn't want you to just come and say, hey, should I go this way or this way? Should I do that? There's more. You see, in the story of Abraham, God meets Abraham where he is at and initiates and starts this beautiful relationship. A relationship that was going to take courage, risk, and faith. 
And I would argue that for us today, for us to listen to the voice of God, it's going to take courage, risk, and faith on our behalf. But also, it's going to take a little proximity to him, meaning we're going to have to move closely to him. So how can we do this? You see, the word courage is used in the Bible 24 times throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. And so it means to be strong, to take heart, to dare to do something, to step out of your comfort zone, but to do it in a way that is obeying the commandments of God. God is always speaking, but if we are honest, we are not always willing to listen. You see, this idea of courage isn't just to, to, for you to, to pull your bootstraps up and, and muster your own strength, but rather it is to ask God for the courage, to ask God for the strength so that you can do what he asked you to do. You see, we, we, we can look closely not only at Abraham's life, but, but ultimately Jesus himself left us this beautiful blueprint. It says that early in the morning he would rise and he would go and pray in the still and quiet would be with God. You see, what Jesus was doing was he was spending time in prayer and in close proximity to God the Father in order so that his heart would be tuned to the will of the Father. He wanted to make sure that his heart and his plan was God's plan and God's heart. A.W. Tozer has this quote and it says, most Christians don't hear God's voice because we've already decided we aren't going to do what he says. We've already made it up in our minds. But I want to encourage you, take courage. But more importantly, ask for courage. Ask God, say, Lord, give me the courage to do what you ask of me. My second point is this. Step out and take a risk. Look at what Abraham does in Genesis 12, 5 through 7. It says, and Abraham took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother, Brother's son, but before I get there, if you hear God's voice, fellas, make sure you include your wife, okay? Like, just, just letting you know. And all their possessions that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem to the oak of Moriah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, To your offsprings I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. Listen, Abraham not only listened to God's voice, but he began to take a risk. He stepped out. And when he stepped out, God began to show him where he was going to take him. And then God began to reveal his plan for him. You see, to take a risk means to be both in and to put down. To be in the will and way of God and to put down your will and your way for his will and his way. To listen to God takes a bit of a risk. Risk of what others might say. What your family might think. And how everyone might perceive you. Imagine Abraham listening to God's voice, coming to his wife and saying, hey, I heard a voice. Here we go again. We got to go. All right, but... But the proximity, the, 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 the risk that it's going to take for you not only to listen to God's voice, but to begin to walk in what he called you to do. Francis Chan says this, if you want to see the big stuff that God has, you've got to take some risk and trust only in the gospel. Meaning to trust in God's word. 
You see, something I've learned along the way is that sometimes God calls you to do something, but he doesn't reveal the whole plan. He doesn't show you everything. And so God speaks and asks you to trust him and to step out and to go, go and, 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 and begin this beautiful, intimate relationship with him. And then as you go, he begins to reveal to you where he's taking you. Listen, if you're here asking God, God, what do I do next with my life? What am I supposed to do? Where am I supposed to go? What am I, like, tell me what to do. First, I would say, listen. Be quiet and listen. Listen to God's voice. And then find a way to stay close to his heart. Seek him in the quiet. Tune your ear and your heart to his voice and how he is speaking and what he is calling you to do. And then take a step. Which way? I would say towards God. Because when you take your first step towards God, God will direct your steps as you go. But many times we say, God, where do I go? And we stay seated and never move. And God's like, if you would just move, I can show you where I'm taking you. God will guide you. God will lead you. But don't just believe me. Look at the scriptures. The scriptures are full, chock full of stories of people hearing God and then taking a step. Sometimes this first step is the hardest step to take. But most times it is the most essential step any of us can take in our faith. The first step must always be toward God, to him and what he is doing. And then God will direct our steps as we go. When you take the first step, what you are doing is taking a step out in faith. And more than that, it is actually living into that faith that God is placing on your heart. You see, Jesus, again, shows us the blueprint. Jesus not only spent time with the Father, but then he would do what? He would go. So he would go to the mountaintop and be with God. But then he'd come off the mountain and be with the people, and he would just go to different cities and, and different towns, and he would begin to what? To tell them about what he's come to do. You see, Jesus not only spent time with the Father, but he went everywhere. But as he went, he never lost sight of what his mission was, to usher in the kingdom of God, to bring hope to the hopeless, to, to restore the broken, to lift up those who were hurting. Never lost sight. So not only take courage, take a step and risk for his voice. And then lastly, live by faith. The writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 11, verse 8 through 22 says this, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and, in, and him, as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of the heavens and as many as the innumerable grains of the sand by the seashore. To live by faith means to walk through the furnace of suffering. It means that you at times are going to suffer for what God has called you to. But like Christ, our Lord, who by faith walked to the cross and through death and came out on the other side with resurrection power, you too must have the same courage. 
Or maybe like this, put like this, like Martin Luther King said, Martin Luther King Jr. He said, faith is taking the first step even when you don't see the whole staircase. Or like Paul in Romans 1.17, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed through faith for faith. As it is written, he who through faith is righteous shall live. So what does this mean? How do I, how do I build courage? How do I ask for courage? How do I, how do I take a step? And how, how do I ultimately stand on my faith? Well, Richard Foster in his book, The Streams of Living Water, talks about how to practically practice the lifestyle that you and I are called to live. He says we must live a spiritually balanced life. Jesus gave us a complete picture of God and demonstrated how you and I can experience vitality and fullness in our life with God here and now. The historical church, Christians, despite its division and differences, has upheld the core characteristics of Christ. But I would argue that, that at times we've lost sight of what we've learned along the way. Tim Keller, who, who has passed now, um, pastor and author, he, he said this. He said, many of the beautiful denominations, right, denominations in the church, have something beautiful to offer for us to learn, but no one's willing to come to the table to share. And so I would argue and I would encourage you that I've got six streams, six things that are meant to just help and guide you closer to Jesus, to the life of Christ, to become more like him. And my first one is this. We must live a prayer-filled life. Our hearts should be steady on the attentions on God. Our hearts should be constantly active looking for God. You see, this comes from the tradition of the contemplative, which draws us continually into the love of God, reminding us that the Christian life is less like a rule book and more like falling in love every single day. It stresses the value of silence and solitude and prayer as a way of engaging with the presence of God. See, while you are, uh, uh, whether it's early in the morning or while you are cleaning the, the, the bedroom or, or, or while you are riding your car to work or washing dishes while the kids nap or even taking a nap yourself. To put simply, the contemplative life is to steadily gaze upon the soul and upon the presence of God at every moment of the day. So not only should we live a prayer-filled life, but number two, we should live a virtuous life, meaning we live with, with integrity, we respond with integrity. This comes out of the holiness tradition, which emphasizes the reformation of our hearts so that we are able to respond appropriately to the challenges of life. See, the word holiness has some negative connotations today, but the original Greek meaning of the word virtue is simply to function well, it means to live well. A virtuous life is not about rules or judgment or perfectionism or some kind of merit gained by good deeds. Rather, it encourages us that the ultimate goal is not to get us into heaven, but to get heaven into us. It's, it's this attentiveness to the source of our actions, to the conditions and the motives of our heart, and to taking on new patterns of life that flow naturally from within. You see, this, this I call holy habits, and we see Jesus play these out every single day in his life because he let heaven flow out of him into those around him so that they could be transformed by what he was doing. Number three, we must live a spirit-empowered life, 
meaning being fueled, fueling our lives from the presence of God and the power of God. This comes out of the charismatic tradition, which focuses on the power of God's spirit moving in us and through us. Just as a car requires fuel and our bodies require food for survival, so our souls must rely upon the spirit of God for spiritual energy, for strength. See, through the Spirit, we are able to do more than we could on our own steam, on our own strength, and our own abilities. This, this, this tradition is to help us and remind us that it is not your strength, but rather it is God's strength in you providing what you need. It's God's presence there to equip you, to build you, so that you can build communities of love. Number next. Living out a compassionate life. It's extending compassion in every sphere of life. This comes out of the social justice tradition, which expresses the themes of justice, compassion, and peace. It emphasizes wisdom and loving kindness to bring relationships into harmony, unity, and balance, even within our own relationships in nature. The compassionate life takes place in all arenas of life, from personal to social to global. As with other traditions, the action we take are not the end goal. True compassion, listen up, true compassion is motivated by a genuine heart. It is empowered by the love of God and embraces the possibility of change. And I would put it this way, love of God makes love of neighbor possible. When you love God, you can love your neighbor even more. Because you view them as an image bearer. You view them as made in the image of God. Number five, living a word-centered life. Living this life-giving message. The, it comes out of the evangelical tradition, which encompasses much more than simply converting people. The word evangel is the good news. It is the good, great message to humanity that all can be redeemed and restored. And its intended design was coming because of what Christ has done on the cross. This is the message embodied in Jesus himself, rooted in the word of God. He was the word. And ultimately expressed through his life and through the followers of Jesus. It is a tale, a living tale of grace spoken in and through our actions. The last one, number six. We need to live a sacramental life. Encountering the invisible God in the visible world. The incarnational tradition teaches us this. It focuses on the relationship between the invisible spirit and the physical reality, helping us to see God's divine presence in the material world in which we live. God manifests himself in, in, in all that he is doing within creation. Creation points to God in the midst of the mundane activity, should be pointing back to God wherever and whenever we acknowledge that God is present. So I end with this. I ask you, no, no, I, I, I encourage you to ask God for courage. Ask him. Say, God, give me the courage I need so that I can stand and ultimately begin to start the process of walking in the direction that you called me to. To run to his voice, not run away from it, not to run in fear, but rather to, to listen to the dream that God is planting in your heart. Take a step and risk following God wherever he calls you. 
Do not worry about what others might say. Don't worry about the person on your right. Don't worry about the person on the left. If God calls you, pursue that with everything you have. Because above all, stand firm on the faith that you live on. Because if the God who called you out, if the God who called you to do these things, if the God who's asking you to step out, he's going to see you till the end. And that's all you need. Have courage. Take a step. Risk. And then stand on the faith of what Christ has done for you and for me. Let's pray. Father, Lord, as we wrestle with this reality of what it means to listen to your voice, what does it mean to, to, to begin to live out what you called us to? What does it mean to be a part of the story that you are ultimately uh, telling us of redeeming the world? Have you chosen Abraham to, to, so that he would be a blessing to all nations? Because they were meant to point to you. And then how you come and incarnate in human form. And then you took upon you our wickedness, our mistakes. And then you said, look, I did this because I love you because you were worth it. But more than that, I did this because I am redeeming the world back to the way it was. Then you resurrected in power and filled us with your spirit. So God, if there was anyone in here wrestling with your voice, I pray that they would just run to you. That they would seek proximity. They would seek closeness with you, intimacy with you. Lord, that you would give them the courage they need. And if there is anyone here who needs courage, may they not be afraid to come up and pray. May they not be afraid to ask. May they not be afraid to, to partner up and just say, pray with me. Because Lord, you, you called us. Give us your voice. You call us to be in closeness with us, with you. God, give us the courage not to run away from it. Let us step out and take a risk. But more than that, let us live it out in faith. In Jesus' holy name I pray. Amen.